Welcome to Let's Talk Land, a weekly land education talk show devoted to learning about land and farms, buying and selling, ownership, especially for real estate agents and realtors. Hey, learn from the experts. This is free land education, guys. Hi, my name's Lou Jewell. I'm an accredited land consultant with United Country Real Estate, Sutton Properties, along with my co-host this morning, Teresa Martin. Good morning, Teresa. Hi, Lou. How are you today? I'm wonderful. We've got a great guest today. You're going to learn a lot. Good. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Buying or selling homes, land or farms in western Piedmont, North Carolina, or southern Virginia, just give us a shout. Hey, we'll help you out. Our office is at 102 East Main Street, next to BB&T Bank in downtown Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. Our company website is www.allsuttonproperties, that's A-L-L-S-U-T-T-O-N properties.com. All of our shows are dedicated to the Realtors Land Institute staff and members, and our national website is www.rliland.com. And if you're looking to buy or sell or you want to learn about land, uh, make sure you go to the website and find one of our members or one of our accredited land consultants. There's about 500 of us are scattered around the country, and uh, we're the folks to go to if, it, if the issue is about land. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Landhub.com, buying or selling land, Landhub is the place to be. Just a program note, Dr. Barbie's Ask the Doctor show will now follow this show and will air at 10 a.m. And Dr. Barbie is treating you with Christmas music, his own selection. So I know you'll enjoy that, so stay tuned and listen to some really good songs. Our guest today is Ned Massey. Good morning, Ned. Good morning, Lou. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Ashland, Virginia. Ashland, where's that located? Uh, maybe 15 miles north of the city of Richmond. Okay. Is that a rural or semi-suburban area? Uh, Ashland is a small town that has a college by the name of Randolph-Macon College in it, and it's in Hanover County, uh, the home of Patrick Henry, for example. Okay. Um, but and and the county is uh, transitional, Lou. It's it's. It's uh, experiencing a lot of residential growth from the metro Richmond area. Uh, the people here don't really want growth, so it's the usual tug of growth versus no growth. I love it. So you're a fellow accredited land consultant, and you were president of our uh, National Association of Realtors. And, and uh, I actually met you uh, uh, when I took my first RLI class. It was a, the old subdivision class, two-day, 16-hour course in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, in 1997. And those are good days. I love that. And, you know, being in a rural area myself, I was fortunate to be with a company that uh, was kind of specializing in land and shooting from the hip. And after taking your class, I always wanted to do rural subdivisions. And I want to report to you today, Ned, thanks to your uh, encouragement, uh, I've done over 60 rural subdivisions. Uh, Fantastic. So, uh you know, we have a 10-acre rule law in our area. As long as you subdivide 10 acres or more, you don't have to get the government involved. Imagine that concept. <laughs> yeah. And then you can do some minor lots, uh, up to four or five, depending on the county uh, and the front. So uh, it's been a very, very successful program, and it's led me into uh, helping folks with estate planning, uh, you know, when they have uh, uh, different uh, heirs, a uh, number of heirs, and being able to uh, to uh, segment the property equitable, and also right. uh, got me involved, and I know you've done it too, as an expert witness. The courts will call me in uh, when they have family disputes and trying to settle, again, that equitable distribution. So uh, thanks to you. It's all your fault, Ned. You've made my life really a whole whole lot of fun. <laughs> well, that was just about the time that we uh, – that was just after we rewrote the course, and uh, that was – and I started uh, teaching it. Um, Bob Meeks and I were, were the two instructors at that point, and that year was the first year that I taught it. Uh, I was supposed to be teaching with him, and unfortunately he had a massive heart attack and died. Right, I remember. Um, and so I ended up teaching. I, I was going to, I signed up to teach two classes a year, and he was going to teach two, and, and he died having taught one, and, and then, uh, so I ended up teaching three, and after that, it, I, I think I taught most of them, but... Uh, Great course and always met a lot of great people. 
absolutely. I still have your three-sided ruler that's in my uh, top desk drawer. I use it frequently. The, 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 the engineer's ruler? Yes, sir. Thank you. It's a wonderful gift. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so everywhere I go, Ned Massey goes with me. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, Luke. Well, we'll find out before the show's over. Let me just give you a little background for our audience to introduce you, if I may. You're an accredited land consultant. Now, uh, uh, you joined RLI when? I joined RLI in 1972. Okay. And it, was, it had a different name at that time. Uh, it was the Farm and Land Institute. Yeah, I believe we've had, what, six names in our 70-some-year uh, existence? Uh, yeah, yes. The only ones I'm from, yeah, yes, there, was a, there, was, there were ones prior to that, but uh, in my 49 years, it's been, 48 years, it's been, uh, it was the, originally the Farm and Land Institute, and then we changed it in oh, the late 80s to the Realtors Land Institute. Right. So you held a Virginia license, broker, uh, license since 1972 and a broker's license since 1976. You're the only realtor in the Virginia to hold the accredited land consultant designation, along with the CCIM, which is a commercial realtor's designation, as well as having an MBA. Wow. That's correct. That's in, correct. In 2005, you were president of the Virginia Chapter of Realtors Land Institute and previously served as the as our uh, national president in 1982. And um, uh, let's see. 1989. 1989, right. Sorry. Make me older than I am. Well, you know, we're still we're the same age. I think I'm a, a month older than you. We discovered uh, in Tucson, Arizona, a couple of years ago. Um, you in 2005, you received the Realtors uh, uh, Year Award, but from the Richmond Association of Realtors in 05, the Education of the Year from the Virginia Association of Realtors, and was in, uh, induced into the National Omega Tau Row. Fraternity in 1983 through 1990, you won various awards, including Land Broker of the Year, Salesman of the Year, Land Realtor of America, and Realtor of the Year. And you also were given the the uh, Robert Meeks. You were talking about him. Uh, he left an endowment uh, for for uh, an award each year for the top real estate broker in our organization, and it is the most prestigious award that we present. And you were a recipient of that in 2009. And uh, as I think, and I was there when you received it, but as I think of all the different folks uh, that's received that, it's, it's quite a group of folks uh, and well-deserved. Uh, the award's given to credit land consultant for recognition of long-term commitment and contributions to the organization. So uh, you've, you've, uh, you've put your time in and been rewarded and well-deserved. 71, you were a graduate of the University of Richmond, and you obtained your MBA from William & Mary in 1983. You Completed over 25 specialized real estate courses and also competed the acquisition, rezoning, development, numerous residential subdivisions, mixed-use business parks, and buildings of various clients. And you, along with myself, uh, are one of our uh, RLI instructors. We both uh, teach the Land 101, the base course. Uh, I've been teaching that since 2003, and boy, I tell you, I really enjoy doing that. Uh, you also uh, taught some other courses. What are those, Ned? Yes, I, I have taught the uh, transitional land brokerage course, uh, the land return analysis course. Um, <clears throat> the last, maybe the until I retired from teaching a, a year ago, I had pretty well focused on the land 101 and the land development courses. Those, those were the two because I enjoyed them. It was. It wasn't work. It was. It was actually fun uh, oh, to teach people those two courses. So that was fun. But I, um, I decided last spring that, uh, spring a year ago, eighteen months ago, that that um, it, it was just time for to, to stop. I understand. I'm slowing down myself a little bit, <laughs> but uh, that's okay. I tell you, we've been blessed by the good Lord and the opportunity to serve folks and. And land land related uh, uh, situations, it's um, quite a blessing to um, to um, watch people achieve their goals and then come back years later and see see what they've done. It's uh, it's absolutely very and very. It's rewarding. also you know the the Realtors Land Institute uh, was a major source of teaching me how to work with land. Okay. And and so um, teaching others is the, the people the courses that I took 
through the Farm and Land Institute uh, that taught me how to uh, broker land, develop land, whatever, uh, it, that benefited me tremendously. So by being an instructor, I was able to just return the, the favor. And, and the year that I was national president, 1989, before then, 87, 1987, I was the vice president, and I was I chaired the uh, task force that installed a brand new education program that we called the Land University, which is still functioning. And we we worked with Texas A&M to <clears throat> to write um, eight new courses. Um, they were offered for the first time in the fall of uh, two, of uh, 1988 down in um, Texas, and uh, San Antonio, Texas, and uh, and and then it's been it's been offered ever since. And the courses have been updated. Uh, you know, they've changed over the years. Um, instructors have changed. The the techniques have changed. It's, it's all been kept current. RLI has done a good job with that. But, yes, we have. But I'm proud of the fact that that was that I had a key part of, of uh, leading the team that brought in the new Land University. Well, thank you. Those are the courses that I took to get by ALC. Uh, it took me five years, but I got it done. Uh, it's uh, and uh, and there's not one course that I can say is better than the other. And our structures are the best, like you, Ned. Uh, it's uh, you know the, we're self-teaching. What, 95% of our instructors are RLI members in ALCs, aren't they? Or pretty close to, I don't know the percentage. but Yes, I think so. And, and it, it, one of the uh, distinctions that a lot of times, and you've had, you've had the same thing, I'm sure, Lou, where um, uh, the students will come up to you during the break and, and uh, they'll ask uh, questions. And a lot of the questions have to be, you actually do this, don't you? And, and the answer is yes. Um, and then in talking with them, you find out that a lot of times they have taken other courses offered by other organizations where the instructor was just um, going through material but didn't have any firsthand real-world experience with it. And, and RLI has always done a very good job of getting uh, its accredited land consultants to be instructors so that the person that's teaching the course is actually using the material, doing the same techniques, applying it in the marketplace, and that just uh, gives the student a lot more uh, benefits, more takeaway. The, uh, every time I took a course, I found that if I came back to my, uh, when I was going through them, if I came back and, and applied what I had learned, my income went up. Um, Teresa, did you hear that? And, <laughs> yeah. And so I think that that's, I think that was the, one of the distinctions of the real has been of the Realtors Land Institute is that it's it's practical knowledge that you can apply and and have your practice benefit. And by the way, you do not have to be a realtor or a real estate broker to take our classes, uh, and I'm sure you have over the years had attorneys and developers and property owners and uh, curious people. Uh, so uh, you know, if you're listening audience out there, go to our website www.rliland.com. And check us out, because uh, we are the go-to folks if you're uh, talking about land. Um, one of the things that I've, I've gotten out of it personally is, uh, is the uh, uh, relationships. Uh, I have a huge referral business, and a lot of those come from my students. Uh, and I also refer, I'll get a call, somebody here locally will say, I just inherited a farm in Virginia, northern Virginia. I don't know what to do, and I'm going to say, we'll call Ned Massey. Uh, so I, for years, have done that. Uh, I don't even charge for referrals if I'm doing what I call in-house to my fellow RLI members. So um, it's, um, it's, it's been a great uh, boost to business and, and very rewarding over the years, and, and I'm sure you've experienced something very similar. Yes, it's, it's, always, uh, it's always very pleasant to have someone think that they – that you, you can handle their client for them or, or address the need of someone that they know. Um, and so we, we try to take special care of those folks. But, but yes, it's, it's been a good source of business. So our guest today is Ned Massey, and uh, this is Let's Talk Land. Hey, thank you to our sponsor, LandHub.com. View thousands of properties for sale at LandHub.com. So, Ned, I see that you're with Grant Massey Land Company. 
could you take some time to tell us about Grand Massey Land Company? That's kind of a mouthful. <laughs> it's Grant Massey. Grant Massey Land Company. <laughs> the genesis of that uh, was when I was national president of the Realtors Land Institute. <clears throat> and, and that year, uh, through the previous EVP leaving and the new one coming on board from st uh, staff, I, I, in effect, for most of the year, was acting like an unpaid CEO. <clears throat> and and the previous year, my my team had um, had 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 a shadow government, if you will. And and although we were filling roles for uh, Jerry Brewer from Mississippi, who was the then president, we also knew that we were headed into some difficulty, and <clears throat> so we were having conversations amongst ourselves and came up with a business plan for 1989, the year I was going to be president. And it was, it was a matter of implementing it. But, but what I noticed was there was sometimes that a, a logical decision um, had a phenomenal result, and other times a logical decision had a very poor result. And that put into my mind that I would really like to go back and get my MBA. <clears throat> So in the early 90s, we were going through what was called the SNL crisis, and the land market was basically non-existent. So I convinced my wife that that was a good time for me to go back to school, get my MBA, because I wasn't missing much in the land market. And and I had a, went into a, a weekend program at the College of William and Mary to to get my MBA, and and it was it was transformative. One of the things that I came uh, away with was the realization that I could, in the, in the regular world, I could go into a particular industry and look up and get all kinds of data about the companies that were in that industry. And any one of those companies, publicly traded companies, I could get an enormous amount of data about them. And so I could plot trends and, and uh, understand how that industry, that company was functioning, how that industry was functioning. And, and make really good business decisions. But you couldn't do that in the land market. And so uh, combined with that was the, the fact that if you had told me that, that when I went into the program that um, statistics was going to be one of my favorite courses, I would have told you you were smoking some sort of illegal substance. <laughs> but the professor made the statistics class really fascinating. And so at the, at the, once I finished my MBA, I sat down with uh, Bill Grant. Bill and I were with another brokerage firm, and we started plotting out how we could apply what I had learned in the MBA program to the land market. And we, we um, had already been accumulating some data on the land market. In a, we were operating in a few counties, five, six counties. <clears throat> I knew that I needed to get up above... 30 counties because with statistics, um, 30 observations is where you begin to have a statistical significant data. And so uh, we, we expanded our database up to 30 counties. We started accumulating data. We organized the data differently, and um, we started then applying it to the, to the marketplace. One of the ways we do that is that we, you know, when we're talking to a landowner about their property, they come to us and say, well, I'm interested in selling a piece of land. We offer to do for them free what we, what we call a market study or market analysis. And in there, it is, um, we, we not only analyze their piece of property, but we do it in the perspective of here's what's going on in the land market. Here are the trends that are going on in the land market. Here's, uh, th this is what is happening now. This is what's happened over the last, well, we go back to 1990. And and, uh, and so here, so you can plot it out and you can see where you are and all these different trends and indices. And, and it gives the client a much better feel for what is happening in, relative to their asset. We also then kind of we try to project ahead. Uh, we know that it takes about 18 months to sell a tract of land. Not every tract of land takes 18 months, but on average, it takes 18 months to go from listing the property to closing on the property. And and so we're we're trying to 
we, we feel like if you just look at history, it, that's the equivalent of driving your car only by looking at the rearview mirror. And so, so we, we talk about history, but we also talk about what's going to happen over the next 18 months. Uh, and what kind of a market are you going to be in? And, and uh, what should you as a landowner be thinking about? We're not there to tell the landowner what to do. We're trying to give them information about the land market, give them information about the trends in the land market, give them information about the economy and how that's going to impact the, the value they're going to get for their land. And, 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 uh, and we don't charge for that, because, but, it, but we're able to have a very intelligent conversation about their property. And, and our technology is pretty slick. We have uh, our first few years that we – well, let me go back. Um, we were with another brokerage firm, and so we were we were we were doing things uh, differently than the typical brokerage firm would do them, and and so uh, we had other land brokers in the company with us, and they would come and say, well, that won't work, and we would say, well, it's not been done that way before, but we think it'll work, and if it doesn't work, we'll fix it until it does work, and but but the more we did it, the more friction it created with our other land brokers. And, um, and sometimes they would come to us and say, well, I want you to do that for me. And I would say, that's fine, but I have to charge you for it. And they said, why? Well, I don't own the company, and, and so I'm taking my time away from doing it for me in order to do it for you. So I should get some sort of compensation. And, and they, they just didn't think that that was appropriate, and so the friction got um, really quite intense. So um, – in the summer of 97, uh, I was on vacation, and I had some very frustrating uh, times uh, with people in the office, the firm where I was, and <clears throat> I was explaining to my wife as we were walking the beach down on Holden Beach um, as to as to why I was frustrated. And so she said, so when are you going to leave? And I said, well, I don't, I don't want to have a brokerage company. I, I don't think they're very profitable. And... and so the more I talked, the more she kept saying, so when are you leaving? And finally, <laughs> I, finally I came, when we got home, I was, um, had talked to Bill Grant and to uh, another fellow that had been in our, my MBA program with me, by the name of Rick Gallier. And um, I, as I was driving home one night from the office, uh, the Lord started putting on my heart a, a business plan. And that night I sat down at the computer and, and I, I word processed and graphed and everything else that you do with a, with a business plan. And I, I took it to uh, Rick Gallier, my fellow MBA, um, and, and uh, he, he thought it was good. I showed it to Bill Grant. He thought it was good. And so Bill and I decided that there were three things that had to happen <clears throat> in order for us to be able to go and start our own company. Uh, but we we were going to we were going to do this. Now this we're talking about September of '97. You come around to um, the second week of March of '98, and on on Monday of that week, the the first thing that was our first of our three things happened. On Tuesday, the second thing happened. On Wednesday, the third thing happened. And and so I turned to my uh, turned to Bill and I said, Do "You understand what this means." Um, we need to go in and resign. So we actually waited until Friday of that week, went in separately, went into the president of the company where we were, and we gave him our resignation. Uh, and it happened to be uh, Friday, March the 13th of 1998. <laughs> Friday and, the 13th. No, it wasn't that. Listen. And, and one of the things that we had to uh, – to do was get office space, and we the space we we wanted to move into was um, available for us, for us uh, on April 1st. So April Fool's Day of 1998, Bill and I moved into our new office space, um, hoping that the day being April Fool's Day wasn't an omen of something bad happening. Um, but nevertheless, it's it wasn't planned that way, but it sure has made it easy to remember the date we resigned and the date we opened up. Um, and 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 we are we are just different. We we 
we use a lot of direct mail. Um, we, we are heavy into direct mail. We find that to be just an excellent tool. Um, we target our market with it. We, um, not only the, the landowners, um, we accumulate information as to from a variety of sources uh, as to who is in the market. When somebody contacts, about, contacts us about a piece of property, they go into a, a, a list. They're, that list is kept up to date. And so if, when, when we list something that is similar to what one of those people was looking for, it miraculously shows up in their mailbox or their email box. Um, we, uh, and we're just nerds. We, we, we just collect all kinds of data. One of the things that we do is we, we, um, we calculate what we call a weekly activity index. Um, uh, it's an algorithm that Bill and I developed that <clears throat> collects data from a variety of sources <clears throat> and converts it into a single number. And we, we use that to, and we can, with it we can tell you whether the, uh, uh, the market is building towards another peak or whether it's in decline. Um, we found, have found over the years that, that religiously, when, we, when our weekly activity index starts rising um, in a certain way, that three weeks later, we're going to be busier than one on paper hanging. Now, I cannot explain to you the reason for the delay. I cannot tell you why it's three weeks. Sometimes it's just lucky, better to be lucky than good. I mean, and this is one of those times. You know, when we see our in weekly index going up, we know that three weeks later we're going to be busier than one on paper hangers. And, um, and, and so how do we use that? Well, when we, we get a, uh, an offer on a piece of property, and our index is going up, we can sit there and say to our client, well, here's the offer. Now, you need to know that three weeks from now, there's going to be a peak in the, in the activity. Wow. And, and so frame your decision on the fact that we're moving into a peak. That doesn't mean you'd get another offer, but it does mean that there's a chance that you might get another offer. I mean, you, you need to do what's in your best interest with this offer. Uh, on the other hand, if we get an offer and we know that the that uh, there isn't a peak coming and and we're kind of in a trough, then we can share with our client. Well, this is we've gotten this offer and and um, the activity index is down right now, and we don't know when the next peak of activity is coming. And so, they, you know, our feeling is that people, given data, always make what the decision that's in their best interest rather than us trying to tell them what's in their best interest. Uh, we feel like our role is to give them data so that they can make a decision as to what's in their best interest, and then we implement their decision. Um, that process starts with our market uh, study or market analysis, uh, which is like an appraisal on steroids. Um, we, we use our data to – our database includes um, – GIS it includes um, agricultural soils, soil maps. It includes topography, aerial photos. You know, winter and summer. Uh, the difference is the winter aerials. It's a lot easier to see the pine tops than it is um, on a summer aerial. You can't tell whether it's deciduous or pine, uh, coniferous. Um, you know, we talk to people about the soils. Um, we, we, we try to we, we find that most landowners really don't know much about the asset that they have they 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 don't uh, they don't understand and so exactly what it is they have and it's not like they have a stock or a bond or something that they can quantify in the financial markets so our the part of our effort is to educate them about what it is you have this is what you have um, and this is how it ranks in the scheme of things, uh, here are the trends that are going on in the marketplace, and, um, and therefore this is, this is the strategy that you probably need to use with your piece of property uh, in order to, to maximize the value. Our guest today is Ned Massey. This is Let's Talk Land. Landhub.com is our sponsor. Looking to sell your land? Try Landhub.com.
So I want everyone that's listening to Ned Massey today to go to his website. Now, if you're driving, please don't do that. But uh, it's it's real easy. It's Grant, G-R-A-N-T, Massey, M-A-S-S-I-E.com. And the reason I want you to go there is there's so much information on there, which we're going to get into in this segment. But uh, I love your mission statement, Ned. Uh, it's our mission at Grant Massey Land Company is to provide our clients with the highest level of real estate services while promoting the wise use of land. I love that so much. And on your market perspective that you started back in 2010, you've got these different segments that you guys can go to. Uh, I have, and there's so much information. Uh, one's called farm, one's called investment, one's called land. One's a land appraisal, land for sale in Virginia, land investment, land investor, land owners, land value, land market of the uh, market value of land, timber, timber for sale, timber land, timber value, and Virginia. So uh, uh, you talk about this as a, a big foot aloof. A, a big, uh, big is a foot. Are you prepared for 2020? And that's where I'd like to uh, take you next if we can and talk about a uh, little bit more about your company, some of the uh, personalities and expertise you have there, uh, which is important, I think, for the uh, uh, realtors out there that do have a real estate office and want to uh, get more into land, uh, you know, this is a good format uh, that uh, uh, Grant Massey's put together. Ned, you're on, the sh you're on, you're, you're on board. All right. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> well, Lou, we, we, it starts with the data that we collect. Um, most of the data is on tracts of land over 100 acres because <clears throat> There's a, we found in the marketplace that that is a break point, and there are, um, that, that, that's just a, a meaningful break point in the marketplace. So a lot of the data we collect is on tracts of land over 100 acres. <clears throat> and as all good land brokers know, the, the absolute foundation of land is the soil. And so we, we uh, have on our databases the, the types of soils, there are 300 different types of soil in Virginia. Um, they range in productivity. Um, most, an awful lot of people in real estate think that all, all land is um, the same, all land is, land, all dirt is dirt and all trees are trees is what we kind of say. And, and yet there's a huge difference. Uh, for example, here in Virginia, one, our, one of our best soils is a soil that's called Pamunkey. And it's, it's just a great soil. So it's sandy loam. It's great for crops. It's great for timber. It's great for construction, anything. Uh, the other is extreme is something called uh, Iredale. And the common name of Iredale is quicksand. And so, you know, obviously it's good for nothing. Um, but, but, that's, but there's everything in between. And, and so if you understand the soils that, that are uh, on a tract of land, then that gives you a hint as to what its highest and best use is. <clears throat> we do have in our office uh, both Bill and Jeff. Uh, uh, the three of us are all accredited land consultants. Bill and Jeff are both foresters, and about 50% of Virginia uh, land is woodland. So having a forester involved in the transaction gives us a benefit because um, – they understand the value of the timber. Um, and there is a huge difference between, in value between something that's merchantable and something that just happens to be green and woody uh, but doesn't have any market value. And so uh, the, the imp impact on the value of a, a woodland tract is very significant. Um, we segregate our data into um, what we look at it in several different ways. The first is we, we, we segregate the data by uh, what we call as rural timberland. And this could be the rural part can pick up cropland. It can be, it can be cropland or pastureland or timberland. We, have, we, we track the different values for that. Um, we, when we accumulate a, a sale, we go into our database, we look up the piece of the tract of land that was sold, and we determine what the breakdown is for cropland, for timberland, for pasture land, whether there are any significant improvements on the property. Um, our system is set up so that it calculates what we call to be the raw land price. 
Um, so if it's got improvements, we, we the, our system takes the improvements out, and we're we're tracking what's happening with the land value. Um, I, we've had uh, other land brokers I've been associated with <clears throat> that would just take a farm selling for X number of dollars and divide it by the acres. But if it had a significant amount of improvements on it, then it would distort the value of the land, and we want to get away from that. So we, our system takes the, the improvements out, and we're just looking at the raw land values. And, and then we plot them. Um, we, we have a, um, on our GIS, <clears throat> excuse me, we can pull up um, the comparable sales. Like if, if I'm analyzing a piece of property in Hanover County, where I live, um, we can pull up the sales and uh, we could color code them on a map um, by so that you can see the pattern in terms of uh, what sold in 2018, what sold in 2019, what has sold in 2020, because they're different color codes. Um, and then and you can also see the if, on our the little note that shows up on the map, um, you can you can see the, the raw land price per acre, which it just comes out as a price per acre. And there's usually a progression. The closer into the metro area, the higher the value per acre. The further out, uh, the lower the price per acre. <clears throat> we then can, in our system, we can analyze, um, okay, well, what, how does this relate to the comprehensive plan? Because if something has the potential to be commercial or industrial, um, then then that's probably a higher price per acre than if it's the comprehensive plan says it's going to be timberland forever, so um, or, or or a rural subdivision, which is a lower price. So uh, we can overlay that, and, and you can understand that pattern as well. One of the other things that's most fascinating um, the last few years, especially since the Great Recession, uh, it has been the presence of broadband. If 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 you're in a county and uh, Hanover County has some broadband deserts in it, and, and the fact that you can't get broadband at that location has a ten is having a tendency across the board to bring down the value of the land per acre. Um, if there is broadband available, then the price per acre is higher. So <clears throat> we're looking at, we, we try to layer up. We start with the soils. We start with the topography. We start with the um, whether it's got timberland, pop, cropland, pastureland. We layer up with the um, comprehensive plan. We layer on top of that the, the comparable sales, uh, and and our objective is to come to what we call to be a fair market value range. We we tell our clients that um, it, the fact, which is that it, the value is a range and. If somebody uh, comes in and uh, uh, this particular piece of property is exactly what they're looking for, they're going to pay more for it than if someone says, well, you know, it's not quite, uh, I need this or that, or if it's, a, if it's an industry and, it's good, and they're going to have to deal with some bad soils, um, so their costs of development are going to be higher, then they're going to they deduct that off of the value of the land. So um, we... we we, we try to make sure that we're showing our client a, a, a fair market value range. <clears throat> if the um, at the highest range, the the we we try to make sure that it's accurate. I mean, here's based upon our sales, this is where the market's actually moving. Um, about 50% of the time that we talk to landowners, they think, well, you know, Fred sold his property for this and. Mary sold her property for this other thing, and 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 mine's more valuable, and it's more valuable because they think because they own it, and they just think it's more valuable because it's theirs. Um, we tr we have to try to introduce to them. Well, here's where the market's actually moving, and a lot of times what they heard that Fred and Mary sold their property for was wrong, um, but but we have the hard data and we can show it to them, and and then we we show here's here's where the market's actually moving. And in times of distress, um, you need to be, if, if you really have to sell and it's a, it's a difficult time, maybe you need to be down the lower end of the range. If you're, on the other hand, you don't have to sell and it's a good market and you want to stretch a little bit, then, uh, you know, the, 
here's the range where you want to be. You want to be up here somewhere. And uh, <clears throat> that that's just how we do it. it it's, so we're looking at as an appraisal. I mean, we're like an appraisal in that we look at history, but then we also try to look forward. And um, based upon what I learned when I was in grad school about economics <clears throat> and, and just um, suffering through 48 years of economics, um, applying what I've learned that, you know, we, we try to look forward. We, we feel like you can, in most instances, you can be reasonably accurate a year out. Um, and there's a reason for that. The, when I was in grad school, I had access to a, uh, economic database that, uh, had 150 years of economic history. And, <clears throat> And on my laptop, I could go into that database, and because I had a software package that let me in, and and on that software package, I could um, I could shock the system, I could I could shock it positively or negatively. I could, for example, I could raise taxes, or I could lower taxes. I could raise interest rates or lower interest rates, and I could pick what industry, for example, uh, real estate. It was all usually residential. Uh, was what the database had, and and I and it would the computer would plot out for me over the next two years what was going to happen. And the the one thing that was absolutely consistent all the times I used that database was that when I shocked the system, it was nine to twelve months later before you saw the the total impact. There was an impact to begin with, but you didn't see the total impact until nine to twelve months later. So we feel like we can, at any one point in time, we can um, say, well, oh, here's what's happening right now. Here's anything that's significant that's happened to the economy. So from this point forward, we can estimate that nine months or 12 months out, this is what's going to happen. For Let me give you an example. March of, uh, of this year, we shut down our, comp- our country huge impact. Now, the government um, put out the, the PPP program and, a lot, and the Fed dropped interest rates down to zero and they did all sorts of things in order to try to ameliorate the shock, but that was an enormous shock. The, we will not see the full impact of that shock until March of 2021. March of 2021, we will see it. it we will know in March, April, February, in that range, we will know that there's been a we'll be able, what the, we'll be able to fully measure what was the impact of shutting down our, comp, our country uh, for a period of a couple weeks. <clears throat> um, and and we can we'll also be able to see the full impact of the um, all the stimulus that was passed in order to try to ameliorate it. So so. When we look forward into, for example, 2021, we, we tell our, we're telling our clients right now, look, um, the, the, the first six or seven months of next year, are, that cake is pretty well baked. There's going to be, we will know in the spring what the full impact was of shutting down our economy. Um, that's probably when you'll, the, the peak of, in, of uh, bankruptcies will start hitting that's probably when the uh, retailers that were hanging on by their fingernails that can't make it anymore, they're, closed, they're going to close down. I mean, there's just going to be a lot of stuff that happens in the spring of 2021. Um, and beyond that, it really depends upon who's president, who, who ultimately is in the White House in January 20th, 21st, <clears throat> because the, the two have a very stark difference in their economic programs, um, but but so so when we again we, we we here's the history here's here's your property, all the the factors that are influencing the value of it, highest and best use of it. Here's the value of those. Here's the fair market value range. Now looking forward, um, here's what what's probably going to happen over the next nine to twelve months, and because if we're talking about eighteen months. You know, between 12 and 18 months, that's a little risky. It's a little fuzzy. 
can't be sure um, because I, it, something dramatic could happen next summer that would have an influence uh, on the last year of, of uh, that 18-month period. And, and we can't forecast that at the moment. I mean, black swans happen, um, catastrophic things happen, positive things happen. It's it's hard to to be accurate for 18 months. But for the next um, nine months, 12 months maybe, uh, the only wild card being who, who's going to be president because that those two alternatives are pretty stark. Tell, um, tell us about your staff up there. Uh, you got some very unique... Uh, uh, members of your organization. I'm sorry? Tell us about your staff and some of the other agents you have in your office. Um, well, uh, Bill Bill Grant is my partner, and <clears throat> Bill is a, a forester uh, as well as an accredited land consultant. Um, he is uh, he's actually 80, and um, he's higher tech than I am, um, just loves technology, loves to apply technology. Um, and and so he's he's uh, but and it's it's fascinating because we can go in we can go look at a piece of property a tract of land and he he'll sit there and say well you know the value of the merchantable timber here is about about X number of dollars per acre and uh, he's sometimes going back and cruised and and it has been he's been accurate so he just has a, a great sense about timber values our. Uh, associate broker is uh, Jeff Huff, who's also an accredited land consultant and also a forester. Uh, Bill Bill has a degree in forestry from Virginia Tech. Uh, uh, Jeff has a degree in forestry from West Virginia University and a master's in forestry from Virginia Tech. <clears throat> That's where we found him. Right. Um, and and so and and Jeff is uh, just a, a really has become a really fine broker, but he also does timber sales. Uh, timber cruises. Um, he, he also has the ability, like Bill, of being able to be pretty accurate with his uh, a windshield timber cruise. <clears throat> so that's just um, a, a real benefit because 50% of Virginia is timberland. Um, I I know the difference between. I've been out of so long. I know the difference between uh, the different ages of pine, for example, and the relative values. But I'm not. I don't do timber cruises, and I'm not near as accurate with. I depend upon them for the, the estimates of value of timberland. Um, my expertise is more over in the side of um, commercial sites and uh, commercial industrial sites, um, and and land for development. Anyone else on your staff? We have an office manager that's been with us for. Um, 15, 15 or 18 years, um, and, and she keeps she's kind of the glue that keeps everything going <laughs> in the background. Uh, <clears throat> when we started off in um, 98, we, we, uh, we grew up to uh, nine licensees and five full-time staff. Uh, <clears throat> But the, when the Great Recession came along, we we needed to we we had to downsize in order to continue to function. And so <clears throat> there was a point where we we just took an axe to the organization, and um, uh, it was painful, but but it was the right thing to do. And and since then, we've just not really been inclined towards growing. Um, the more people you have, the more potential dysfunction you have. It's just easier to to, to, to run hard, and we all enjoy what we're doing, um, so it, it's just easier to focus on what we're doing than it is to to train. We, uh, we've had uh, some other younger associates come in, and, and for one reason or another, they haven't stayed. Um, one decided he, he what he really wanted to be was a farmer, and um, um, I, I, a truck farmer, and I, I uh, organic truck farmer, and Specifically, and and I was sitting talking with him, and and uh, I asked him that question: What do you really, what do you really want to do? And he 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 just started ever vesting about being an organic truck farmer. And I said, you know, you gotta like what you do. I mean, go if that's what you really want to do, go do it. I mean, don't don't be doing something you're not interested in doing, right. don't like doing. Yeah. You 
spend too much time at it. Um, and so he, shortly thereafter, he was a, he was a very good land broker, um, but but he I've seen him since, and he's much happier doing what he's doing than he was as a land broker. So that's good. I'm going to turn Teresa loose because uh, she's bottled up with some questions. You, you, what have you learned today, Teresa? Oh, I've learned a lot. But the one thing I did want to ask him since he's been doing this for a while now is how many cycles have you seen, do you think? Um, counting the one created by stopping the um, our economy in March, this will be the sixth. Uh, this is the sixth cycle that I've been through. The first uh, first three or f first four recessions were were not the, the the Great Recession, 2007 to 2010. <clears throat> that was worse than the first four recessions combined. That was the fifth one I'd been through, and it was it was worse, much worse. Um, the the um, this cycle, the, the, the massive amount of stimulus that the government put into the system uh, has softened it a little bit. It was a shock. We really, when it happened, when when the, we shut down the economy in, in uh, March, we went into back into our database and calculated uh, what had happened. What happened to land values? Land values fluctuate, and we calculated what happened with land values. We went back to each of our clients and said, um, you know, we, 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 nobody's ever seen this before. Nobody's ever stopped an economy before. Um, the closest we can come to it is maybe the Great Recession. Here's what happened mathematically in the Great Recession. And, and if, you, if you need to sell your land in the next six months, then you probably need to get your price down to this level. And we had um, four or five clients that immediately dropped their price. Um, and we had another four or five that ultimately dropped their price uh, down to those levels in, in order to, to sell uh, their properties because of things that were going on in their lives. Um, <clears throat> so, so this one, but this one would be the, this would be the sixth, sixth cycle. Um, it, what's really fascinating was um, we felt in 20, well, 2018, and I'm going to use the one of the market segments that we're in is the sale of um, of um, land for residential development, and in in, in 2018 we uh, the Fed uh, under Chairman Powell was doing two things they were they were intentionally raising interest rates by raising their discount rate. And they were also um, letting their their balance sheet bleed off. During the Great Recession, the, for the first time in my life, um, the Fed went into quantitative easing, where they were, they were trying to drive down the, the uh, interest rates in order to spur the new home construction. And, and so to do that, they were buying the 10-year treasury um, but they were also buying mortgages. Uh, the tenured treasury is the is the um, financial instrument that sets mortgage rates. Uh, the, the the mortgage brokers look for a spread of typically 150 basis points, one and a half percent over the tenured treasury. Uh, if it gets up to two uh, 200 basis points or two percent above the tenured treasury, that's a really wide margin for them. You typically about 150 basis points, <clears throat> and so so the Fed was buying 10-year Treasuries to drive down the interest rate, and they were buying mortgages to try to uh, reinforce that trend, and and they went from a balance sheet of about 900 billion to 4.5 trillion dollars. <clears throat> they, in other words, it, they blew up their balance sheet by five times, <clears throat> and in 2018, Chairman Powell decided he was going to raise interest rates, but also as those well, the assets on his balance sheet came due, he was not going to replace them. So that forced the market to buy those assets. And that, both of those things, you, you'll remember, interest rates started going up. And they, they started moving fairly quickly up. Um, <clears throat> first half of 2018, the home builders in Metro Richmond were, were um, 
building it, were building and selling everything they could build. Um, the second half of 2018, as those interest rates went up, it uh, it slowed down the new home market, and and they ended up with only a mediocre year, not a very good year. Uh, and the Fed raised interest rates for the last time in December of 18, and in our blog we said that was a mistake, and they'll be reversing it. Um, <clears throat> Because they've already killed the golden goose, and and they've um, in the in the spring of '19 uh, they started uh, reducing interest rates, uh, and they stopped they actually stopped doing the letting the assets bleed out of their, bleed off of their balance sheet because they realized that they'd raised interest rates too fast, and and um, we had forecast in the in the fall of 18 that the land market was probably going to peak somewhere in 2019 and um, uh, in fact I, I owned a farm that uh, had been adjacent to my, my parents home place and I never went over there because I, I had to drive by what had been their place to go to my place to my farm there's no house there's no house on my farm um, but I just it was just a piece of land I had a lot of emotional attachment to and just really enjoyed being there um, but I decided it's crazy. I've got this asset. I never go there, um, and I'm headed into a, the market peak, cycle peak. And so I put it, put my farm on the market in um, 2018, 2019. Excuse me, 2019, and I closed on it February of 2020, uh, the sale of it in 2020, which and I and got what I felt was a good a good peak, um, peak price. Um, <clears throat> Shortly thereafter, the Fed dropped interest rates down to zero again. Uh, lots of stimulus, uh, potential for inflation. Probably going to see land prices go back up, um, and I, uh, because of those two forces. Um, so I, I don't know that I, I got the peak for that cycle, but we're in a different cycle now. I guess is what I'm saying. And, and um, how long do you think that cycle is going to last? We only got about thirty seconds. I. Lou, I don't know. Um, the 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 Biden platform, the platform Biden ran on, calls for increased taxes um, and increased regulation, and both of those will have are negative shocks into the economy. So, my the forecast that we're giving our clients at the moment is that uh, if if Biden is the president, and this is not political, it's just economics. If Biden is the president, the, the first thing on his agenda that he passes will be a negative shock. Everything else that gets passed on his agenda will be additional negative shocks. And, and so from the first shock to the Biden recession will be 9 to 12 months, and this time the Fed is already at 0% interest rates, and they're already doing quantitative easing. 50% more than they did in the Great Recession. And that's a really negative combination. It means the Fed is on the sideline. So the recession, when it hits, will be ugly. Ned, thank you for your history lesson here. But history always indicates that the great piece of land remains the best investment long term. Hey, you've been Absolutely. a great guest today. How do people get in touch with you, Ned? Um, great Massey Land Company uh, on, the, uh, on the Internet. Uh, my direct dial number is 804-754-3474, 804-754-3474. If I'm not there, leave a message. My voicemail system will find me. Perfect. Thank you for joining us today. Let us know how you like the show. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to suggest, we would appreciate them. All questions are welcome, and all of our guests may be emailed with your questions as well. This show is for the public and, most importantly, for real estate agents who do not have a source of land education. All of our shows are downloaded after the show today on our master website, www.letstalkland.net. Also, you'll find us on Spotify and Podbean. Teresa, how do they get in touch with you? They can email me at Teresa, T-E-R-E-S-A dot mylandpro at gmail.com or call me at 336-209-2937. And my email is lou, L-O-U, at mylandpro.com. My cell is 336-669- one four zero five. Hey, our sponsor today is LandHub.com. If you're looking to buy or sell land, 
LandHub.com previews thousands of properties nationwide. Rodney, how do they get in touch with us here? Well, they can go to our website, Lou. They can go to WKTE1090.com and check out our website and see what all kind of programs we have going on throughout the week. Mm. And we also have a simple app. radio app that mm-hmm. they can download also and pick us up anywhere in the world. In uh, the whole world, huh? Yeah. Wow. And we are Beach Music and Oldies, and we only play what, Teresa? Happy music. That's right. We get you in happy, happy music. And right now we're doing a lot of Christmas music. Christmas oh, yes, music. Yes, yes. Happy Christmas, Christmas music. Okay. And uh, we also got some nice awards. Yep. Five years in a row being the top radio station on the East Coast. And Beach you got a nice award. Uh, yeah, last year's announcer of the year for uh, 2019 Reader's Choice Award. Wow. Wonder why. Uh, I'm still trying to figure that one out. Hey, stay tuned for Dr. Barbie's Christmas special. Join us next week. Ned?